Welcome to Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks, presented by ChevyDriveChicago.com. Drive what Kane and Taves drive. I'm Carter Baum, and coming up on this week's episode, we dive into the emerging young defensemen, Dennis Gilbert and Adam Boquist, the top 100 players of the decade, and we get in the holiday spirit with the best Christmas gifts and even some travel blunders with Adam Burrish and Patrick Sharp. All that and more coming up on Blackhawks Insider, presented by your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealers. It's all about the drive. Hey, it's Adam Burrish. On the road to the top, it's all about drive. The all-new Chevy Blazers got some serious game with available driver control mode. Shift from touring to all-wheel drive to sport to tow and haul. This ride is built for Chicago weather. Yeah, on and off the ice. Turn your Blazer into a mobile hotspot with available 4G LTE Wi-Fi, keeping you connected 24-7. Check out the all-new Chevy Blazer at ChevyDrivesChicago.com. Drive. It's how you get where you're going. Welcome into Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks. Carter Baum, Chris Cook, Adam Burrish, and once again, Patrick Sharp, quickly making his way up the most frequent guest rankings. I think as of this season, you are now tied with Stan Bowman. Nice. For your third appearance. Good company. Good company to keep there. Uh... If you're not careful, we're going to get you a permanent seat there, and Ooh. you might be stuck with us. Well, we, but could, we could negotiate something. I'll have my people talk to your people, and maybe <laughs> we could make this a regular thing. You have to negotiate with Burr. Uh, <laughs> Bring it. We're going to let we're going to leave him up to it. But there's only so many words we can we can do in one. Uh, yeah, one it's going to be here. tough with me here. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us, Patrick. Once again, uh, a lot to dive into today. We'll start with we're recording this Thursday morning, fresh off uh, Chicago four one loss to the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, by all accounts, not a great game all the way around. And we'll start right off. Duncan Keith didn't uh, didn't hide anything after the game. A very poignant quote from him, Chris. I know you talked to him a little bit as well. But he said, we have to get a little more emotion. It's not just going to turn around. It's not just going to happen. We need to make it happen. We're, we need to get a little pissed off, basically saying we can talk about the X and X's and the O's all we want. But the guy's got to really buy in. Guy's got to care. Guy's got to get mean. Uh, because that's the only way that something's going to change of the current up and down state of the 2019-2020 Blackhawks. I yeah. thought that was great. Sorry, Patrick. I thought that was great uh, to see a leader come out and yeah. say that. I've seen that emotion from a couple of guys. Robin Leonard's one, mm-hmm. Jonathan Taves after some losses. But for Duncan Keith, the guy who hadn't played in, what, nine games, to come in here and say, we need to show emotion, we need to get fired up, I really thought that was something that a leader would do. And hopefully the younger players will listen to that and say, okay, we've got this guy who's won a couple of Norris trophies, won three Stanley Cups, a Con Smythe. He's calling us out. Let's show some emotion. Let's play, let's play hard here. And you mentioned it. The, it was his first game back in nine games off of a groin injury. Yeah. He hadn't even traveled the last few trips. He hadn't really been around the team except for the last few days before the game. He's seen it from afar. He's a leader in that room, and he comes in and says, this is what I'm seeing. I know it's my first game back, but – there was, a, there was anger there. He yeah, was angry. Yeah. He was mad. Yeah. And sometimes when you're out of the lineup with an injury or whatever reason it is, you're away from the team, you kind of get that chance to relax a little bit mentally. You're not living and dying with the plays the way the current players are and the coaches and everybody involved. You're focused on rehab and getting back healthy. So for Dunks to come back after watching a few games, some ugly games, and then uh, the performance last night, I like the fact that he, he spouted off a little bit because we've had enough – of a sample size this season to know that 
this is going to continue unless the guys in that room don't get a little fired up and start playing for each other and, and crawl their way out of it. They've done it before uh, for stretches, but it just seems like there's an attitude of, oh, here we go again. And last night's a tough, tough matchup. Let's be honest. Colorado's a team that has their sights set on the Stanley Cup. I think they're the top team in the West. And if they remain healthy, all things considered, they should win the West. There's a few teams that can give them a run, but that has not been a good matchup for the Blackhawks going back to two, three years now. This the speed of Colorado seems to give us a little bit of trouble. But the bigger picture, I like the fact that Dunk's getting fired up. Hopefully that sparks the team a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, when I was playing, when <clears throat> you would get some of your star players, or your high-end guys would sit out for a while. They'd be injured. They were missing some games. I, I always like to get hear their perspective. And you, and you know this, Sharp, when you're sitting out and you're watching, you see things differently than when you're sitting down in the game and – you're, the stuff's happening and people are screaming and guys are running into each other and you're on the bench and, all right, I'm in this. Like, this feels different than what it looks like sitting up top. And I think when you sit out and you're watching games, and for me, really, and you are a high-level guy that's that plays at a really high level, not, you know, me, I'm not making a joke of myself like I always do, but a guy like me is different than Duncan Keith. He sees the game differently, he plays the game differently. And his perspective is way different than mine. So when he sits out now and he comes back, that was real what he said last night. That was partially what he felt in the game and partially what he has been seeing for the last two weeks, that this is, there needs to be some emotional here. There needs to be some more grit and some more fight. And um, <clears throat> and when he says that too, um, I think if you're a young guy and you're listening to that, well, that doesn't mean you got to go out there and get in a fight or kill somebody. If you're a young guy and you're a skilled player and you're a scorer, you got to start scoring, man. You got to start putting some points up. You got to start making some plays out here. And if you're a bottom six guy, you better start running into some people. You better start crashing and banging and running into around the front of the net and causing some chaos and, and look at yourself and what kind of player you are and you better start doing that. And if you don't want to fight and run into guys and bang bodies, you better start making some plays out there. That's kind of what he's saying. Yeah, he was saying, you know, I talked to him in the morning um, a little bit, and, you know, he it is the last two weeks, but he actually said it's four or five years now, right? Yeah. I mean, let's get yeah. real. They haven't won a playoff series in, what, four seasons? Yeah. And it's it's trending that way now. So you got guys who are leaders who are sick of losing. I mean, you guys know Jonathan Taves hates to lose, and you guys yep. hated to lose, but nobody hates to lose more than Duncan Keith. So when yep. he comes out and says, hey, let's do this thing, guys have to listen. And, you know, it has been more than just this season. So I think that a lot of these guys are tired of losing now, there, there were a couple. You can go a couple directions there, right? Now, if you get tired of losing, you can inspire. You can play inspired. You can inspire your teammates, or you can go the other direction. I don't think this team's going to go the other direction where guys are going to stop playing because yeah. I think the leaders on this group aren't going to let that happen. Well, we sat here a couple weeks ago and this same foursome, and we pontificated about what the Blackhawks needed to do going on a two-game road trip when things had seemed to almost hit rock bottom. They went out. They won two games on the road against Boston and New Jersey. Things were better. Now we're kind of back on a downward slope. Another two-game road trip coming up starting tonight, Thursday night in Winnipeg. Another tough matchup for the Blackhawks. But maybe the silver lining, this team is 6-1-0 and in the second game of a back-to-back -back with almost four goals scored per game in those seven games. The offense seems to really uptick. The, the energy seems to uptick in that second game of the back-to-back. -back. How do you come off a game against Colorado at home where you're outplayed. You have your one of your leaders come out and say comments like that after the game. And uh, even Eric Gustafson was kind of chiming in of, yeah, he's absolutely right. How do you come back out and make a statement on the road in Winnipeg, another very difficult building to play in? You just go play. And that's what the Blackhawks have done a good job of doing this season. 
rebounding after a difficult performance with a game 24 hours later. Sometimes that's the best medicine is don't sit around and watch video. Let's not beat each other up. Let's not hang our heads and worry about the next game. Let's just, before we know it, they're going to be dropping the puck in Winnipeg and it's going to be go time. So Hawks have responded well in that department. Some of these losses, though, the last three games, let's really look at the games. St. Louis, I thought they played a great game. Yeah. You know, collapse at the end. They don't get any points to show for it. They answer back the next day with a win on home ice. I know Kaner goes off for the hat trick, but the team, they weren't chasing as much. They were defending, but they weren't just giving up those easy goals. They were competing for six good periods. And then last night, I know it's a 4-1 loss, but you're playing the top team in the West. How about some of those shots, right? McKinnon's yeah. shot was unstoppable, yeah. off the bar. Burakovsky's play on Mata to put it off the other shoulder of Corey Crawford. It's a 4-1 game with an empty netter. So the Hawks were, that was probably their best effort against that Avs team that we've seen this year. They didn't get blown out. It was a much closer game than a 4-1. But getting back to your original question, I like the fact that they don't have time to think about these losses. Let's just get going, play some hockey. I think the... The pressure's off on a back-to-back, especially after. And I'm with you, Sharpie. They didn't get they didn't get blown out of that building. It wasn't an eight to one game, and it's an empty net. It's a three one game. That was a, the Colorado team was better. Uh, it's true. That was just a better hockey team. That first line is probably as dangerous as there is in the game right now. Um, there, nobody can match up against that top line. I don't care who you are. So um, now you can just you don't have video. You don't have to practice certain situations. You don't have to you know th- rethink about those crappy plays you made last night. Just go out and play. Now the pressure's off, and that's what you saw in the Minnesota game. You have a really terrible loss in St. Louis, and then it's like, all right, I don't even have. I don't even get to. I don't have time to the coach to show me this video anymore. I can just go play now. I wake up. Um, at, God, I wish I could have figured that out, but for, for people, some days I probably have a meeting at what noon today in the hotel. So you wake up, you get into that city and probably go to bed at two and you wake up and, um, lay in bed until 1030, take a shower, go downstairs, eat lunch or breakfast, whatever you want to call it at 11, you have a quick meeting, go back and sleep again, and then you go and play the game and it's on. And, and so I think that's why this team's responded well that way. It's just the pressure's off. And I think when you play for the Blackhawks, you feel pressure. Every night there's pressure because it's the Chicago Blackhawks. And I think sometimes when you can escape that for a second and just go out there and let it rip, and you hope you can just keep reproducing that feeling. To me, this team, you know, we talk about how it's not going well. They're playing teams that are better than them. But if there is a silver lining, it's because we've seen them play good hockey, right? We saw it late November, and we saw when they even when they lost the Capitals, they they played well in that game. You're right. Sharpie, that game against the Blues, they pretty much dominated that game in a tough building, and then, of course, it fell apart at the end there. But that's the frustration, I think, for guys like Duncan Keith and Jonathan Taze. Like, we know we can play better, and we have played better. Yep. It's just night to night, they're not putting it together. So if you can find that formula where they can put it together night to night, and you think they can get there because they've got the goaltending to do it. It's not like they're going to go out there and I go, oh, geez, we've got a backup going here. It's going to be a battle. You've got two guys here who can backstop you. You get the rest of it going, and then you can make some sort of run. They showed it last year. They showed it in stretches this year. So if there's any bright side to it, that to me is like they know they've got a team that can pile up some points. In the Minnesota Wild game, I'm sure those Wild guys are like, what, what, what happened here tonight? Yeah, I thought right. we were supposed to come in here and spank these guys. They just got run over by St. Louis late. That's a good hockey team. I'm sure they're saying, like, that wasn't – everybody's saying this team's down and they're struggling right now. That was a Minnesota Wild team that, what, 10 in a row or 12 yeah. in a row or something? And the Blackhawks were the better team that night. The more I watch this team, the Hawks, the more I figure out the formula for them to be successful – I don't think, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, the Hawks are a team that's going to roll four lines and sustain the play in the nope. offensive zone and just smother teams and be like, wow, these Hawks are everywhere. What we've seen through the first 30-some games is like, 
it's okay to be in the D zone and to give up some chances. Yep. And it's going to get a little hairy around the crease and Corey's going to have to make some saves and Leonard's going to have to make a stop or two. But it's those secondary and third mistakes, right, that you compound the original mistake. We saw it on the, in the Colorado game. Corey stops McKinnon on a breakaway. Murphy and Keith collide after the Taves. No shot. He goes for the pass, right? We get the big save. Now you're stuck in the D zone. We had three opportunities to clear that puck. Didn't do it. Eventually goes in with a point shot from Ian Cole. So the Hawks are going to give up chances. They're going to get outplayed for stretches. The more comfortable we are in those situations, now we can counter. Now we can use transition. Now we can get the power play going. That's been the best way I think the Hawks have stayed in the game. St. Louis, first period was embarrassing, was it not? It was in the Hawks' zone the entire period. But stay with it. Come back. Second period, it's 3-0 Chicago. So So that's kind of something to work. Let me ask you this then. So do you stack two lines? And just say, these are our two lines. We're going to, you know, Kane and Taves, you guys are going to play 25 minutes. We're going to play two lines. You bottom six. You're going to play eight, nine minutes a night. And just don't get scored on out there. You guys are going to play ping pong around the neutral zone, keep it out of our net, block shots, play desperate. And But I'm going to load up two lines. Well, maybe I'll preface this by, you know, a, a thought that I've just kind of came into my head is from day one of training camp, the message from Stan Bowman and Jeremy Colleton has been we're – we're a pretty young team. You have your established stars, yes, but beyond that, we're a pretty young team. We're not going to come flying out of the gate. We want to be a team that's better in January and February after some of these kids go through those mistakes. So to your point, Bird, do you, do you double down and, and put all your stars on two lines and just roll them? Or are we seeing some of the punches being taken for the hopeful payoff down the road of making some of those mistakes of the third puck trying to get out and not being mm-hmm. able to do it for the hope that it's going to make you better down the road. How do you how do you balance that mid-season? Because you want to be competitive. You don't want to just throw a season away and, and be a development team. But yeah. at some point, you have a lot of young guys who have to make some of these mistakes to get better. Yeah, that's where you're watching every day in practice, in games, individual players, you're evaluating constantly. You're seeing who's taking strides, who's stationary, who's taking steps back, and you adjust the lineup accordingly. I actually like the forward group, the way it's set up right now. Saad and Kubalik have been on the best line since training camp. Remember, it was David Camp as a centerman. Now it's Jonathan Taves. To me, that's a good top line. Hardworking. They're not going to get scored on every night. They may not produce offensively every single night, but I have no problems with that line. They're dependable. Right. Yep. Kaner and Strom seem to have a combination on that second scoring line. Kaner can change the game by himself. Uh, I know he's much better when he's got a running mate and they can create plays, but you know Kaner's going to have to carry that line offensively, whoever it may be with. And I like Cat down in the lineup playing with a guy like Kirby too. I love Smith and I love Carpenter, but Kirby centering that line, it's it's three different types of players. Yeah. Now you got Carpenter doing some solid, dependable, reliable things, and you got Cat and Kirby playing that two-man game. That's a nice yep. third line playing down against some fifth and sixth defenseman, and that fourth line is dependable. You throw out David Camp, Zach Smith, uh, you got Kajula coming back, right? Hopefully Andrew Shaw can get healthy in return. All of a sudden you got some players that you can put a line out there and chew up 45 seconds of a game and stabilize for the other guys to come. I think where the team's been really affected, Calvin DeHaan going out, Dunks missing games, Connor Murphy missing yeah, games. Time. You know, they're, they're a solid back end when everyone's healthy and playing the top of their game, but you get a few injuries, you start relying on certain players, and that changes the game for everybody. Carpenter's been really good yeah. the last he was great. couple I weeks, very good last night. right? Yeah. He's yeah. been he's been he's been playing solid. And you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself here and talking about trade stuff. But 
if I'm another team and I'm a, I'm a team, a playoff team swinging at a Stanley Cup, what a valuable guy that could be. And I, not, not to say that they should move him and, you know, here we're going to uh, cause some controversy, but what a valuable guy on any team. I mean, and I think that's why Stan brought him in here because he saw that in him and what he did in Las Vegas and their Stanley Cup run. He played some big minutes. He's been a really good penalty killer too. So he's been a fun guy for me to watch for it's, this it's team. It's not always about... Highlight real goals right. and assists and toe drags and plays. Like, those are great, but we got guys to do that. Yep. We've seen it for years. You can't have enough Zach Smiths, Carpenters, yep. guys that can be dependable, reliable. You know they're not going to get scored on. Uh, you can trust them in a lot of different situations. And then when 88 hops the boards, yep. now we can start making some plays. You know, to, to Carter's point, I don't know if you guys caught this when we were talking to Jeremy Carlton yesterday about benching, uh, scratching Brent Seabrook. You know, he said, he, something really caught my, my ear. He said, well, the only way we're going to get out of this uh, is by playing the younger guys. And so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, is this, are you building toward the future now, as Carter's saying, or, you know, for down the line here, or are you trying to win hockey games now? I think that he's trying to toe the line, Jeremy Colleton, with mm-hmm. getting younger guys in there. Because, I mean, you've got Gilbert and you've got Boquist or you have Brent Seabrook. If you're trying to win a hockey game tonight, who do you put in there? To me, it's Brent Seabrook. Yep. But if you're looking forward to next month or the month after that or even next season, that's the other two guys. Yeah. And there's lots to be said about those two players, Gilbert and Boquist. I know they'll be getting good advice from their teammates, coaches as well. I want to see Boquist be a little more aggressive. Yeah. You know, yeah. he's a, He teases me a little bit out there. Yeah. He's the type of player that can – we were joking with a couple of guys earlier. I would, I would tell Boquist, All right, you can't pass the puck until you hit our defensive zone blue line. Skated out of trouble yeah. every time. Doesn't it seem like yep. he's got the potential yeah. to just do more out there? And I'm one to talk. It took me to the age of 24 to figure it out to be an everyday NHLer. So sometimes you got to make some mistakes at the National Hockey League level, learn from your coaches, learn from those mistakes, and then you finally figure it out. But I like Boquist's game. I think there's way more to give from his standpoint. And then Denis Gilbert, our guy, oh, Dennis nice. Gilbert. <laughs> yeah. He's a very competitive defenseman. Again, he's going to make a few mistakes. Yeah. But I'll take those mistakes if he's going to give me that competitive physicality, get in the battle, stick up for your teammates, and I take those guys and every he, day. Gilbert's been a guy that he's gotten better because I think he's done that. He's handling the puck a little more than he did that first game, remember, in Prague when he had that terrible turnover. Yeah. And then they send him down, and it seems like he just kind of came back and said, all right, I'm going to make some plays now. He passes the puck, he handles it, he'll drag it back, he'll spin around, he'll make a pass. I mean, he's not flashy, but he's handling the puck more. And I'm with you. I'd like to see Boquist do that. And I think he'd bring some fans out of their seats too because he can dance out there, and he's, he's a good skater and a good puck handler. And I think it's just take the reins off it. And take, if that's the message that we're going with, yep. hey, we need the young guys to get us then out go. Hey. Go do it, man. Go yep. make mistakes out there. Who cares? Just yep. go be the player that we drafted you for and See what pay off down yeah. the road. I was watching Gilbert last night, and I don't want to be that Neanderthal where you got to have a guy out there policing, but <clears throat> yeah. I really do like having a guy out there because this team, face it, doesn't have a lot of guys who are going to go after somebody, but yep. Gilbert will do it every time. Mm-hmm. And I really think that to have that kind of guy on there, not to take a guy's head off of just the energy and just knowing that, hey, we got your back. No matter what happens, I'm going to go after him. So that, I think, is a great role for Gilbert. And you're right, Sharp, about Boquist. I think he's afraid of making defensive mistakes, so he's not opening it up offensively. Yeah. right? You don't want to be that guy who has a horrible gap and then or tries to leave the zone and gets scored on. But he's a young player. Blackhawks know what his upside is. They know that sometimes you're going to get the good, the bad with the good. So to me, yeah, open it up. Go ahead and carry the puck in. Take that shot because – we saw him in training camp. We saw him in Traverse City. Offensively, this kid's got just all the world of talent. Yeah, at this point, I'd rather see him make a mistake right. erring on the aggressive yeah. side of things than just kind of trying to figure things out. But, hey, young player, he'll be better every single game. And just to 
pile on the Gilbert, how I think he's valuable out there too. I mean, look at the last four Final Four teams, Boston, St. Mm-hmm. Louis, Washington, Vegas. What style you want to play? Mm-hmm. You want to go old school 1990 hockey? Bring it. They can play it. You want to go skill? They can play it. So when people want to say that, that, that the game has changed, it certainly has. It's a way better game than when I played. But there's still that element and the, the proof's in the pudding. Those top four teams the last two years, they can beat you up too. Yeah. I think the in staying on Gilbert, you mentioned his stick handling, his patience with the yeah, puck is coming along. That first the goal last night, the Ryan Carpenter, beautiful shot, by the way. But that's dictated by Dennis Gilbert sitting in the neutral zone, drawing three defenders to him, waiting at the blue line for a change to be made. That third line that you mentioned that has a little bit of a mix of everything Sharpie comes out. He dumps the puck in the corner. Kirby Doc's behind the net, cutting off one path there. Ryan Carpenter's cutting off the other one. Forces a really, yeah. I mean, a bad clearance, but the forecheck forces that turnover. You have a guy in Alex Tabrinkit who can make a skilled no-look backhand pass to find Carpenter and yeah. finish it right there. It's a perfect mix of kind of, I think, everything that we've just been talking about. Yeah. The development, the right mix of the forward lines, and also seeing the patience in someone who like Dennis Gilbert, who probably two months ago would have dumped that puck as yep. soon as someone yep. got within five feet of it. By him. hanging on to it for that extra five or six yeah. seconds, allowed his guys to come off the ice and get a better forecheck. That was a staple to Blackhawks hockey a few years ago, was hang on to that puck. You know, don't give it to them. And the way the Blackhawks have had a little bit of difficulty getting that puck back defensively, I, I'm with you. Hang on to it as much as possible. Take it back. When we have the puck, we're in control. And... You draw a lot more penalties when you have possession of the puck, and that can be a strength of our team, that power play. Well, what else you got, Carter? We got a lot. We got, uh, we've got we talked a lot about what's happening. I wanted to get your thoughts on going into the Colorado game real quick. Three straight losses against Colorado. You go to Denver. You play them on Saturday night. How do you approach that game? It's the last time you see them this season. Probably a statement you want to make. You're not happy. I think it's 16-6, to six, the scoreline mm-hmm. from the previous three games. Real quickly, how do you approach that game on Saturday, not even considering tonight's game in uh, Winnipeg? Personally, I would go into it thinking we're going to lose 4-1, 5-1. So I'm going to go in. I'm going to play like an animal. I'm going to swing my stick. I'm going to go to the net. I'm going to cross-check whoever comes near me. I'm going to let the team I'm playing against know that, yeah, you might beat us tonight, but I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to give you my best effort. And you get 20 guys playing the game like that, you'd be funny how the game shifts in your favor. So... We've been in that situation before. For whatever reason, a team just has your number. Go into it as a free game, all right? Pressure's, pressure's off. Pencil in a loss. Go in, play with uh, with no reins on and no pressure. Just do whatever you feel like doing with your line mates, and you'd be surprised how things can turn around. How about Sharp gooning it up here, Bert? You hear that? You right. Well, yeah, that was, that was a lot of games, though, hanging at the far blue line, <laughs> looking, for, <laughs> looking for breakouts. But yeah, he's dead on, though. I mean, and that's that's the truth. That's the honest answer that you, you can't get that a, a player's not going to tell you. But you know games that you're outmatched in, in ma- certain matchups when, uh, when you're on a, a team like this. And, and for for me, it was, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to make an impact somehow. I'm going to go get in a fight. I'm going to go have a couple big hits. I'm going to go and get 10 penalty minutes tonight and and try and inspire these guys and run around and at least let this other team know that you guys aren't going to laugh at us tonight. You're not going to embarrass us. And then you can see the, the skill players, they're running around trying to get points and they're trying to score. And that's kind of what Sharpie's saying. Who knows? Maybe all of a sudden Sharp gets a breakaway early and then Kaner, Taser finds Kaner for a breakaway who's kind of floating around. And all of a sudden the game's 2-0, 10 minutes into the game because mm-hmm. we took some chances. Wow, you squeak out of this one, win a 3-2 game, hang on at the end, and that's sometimes how it happens. So go out there and swing the bat, take some chances, cheat offensively at times, and then 
your defensive guys and your grinders go out there and, and just be a pain in the butt to play against. Yeah, to me, I know the perfect road game is to grind one out, keep the score low. But, you know, if you're going to do something different, open it up. Yeah. You know, let Kane hang out in the neutral zone and yeah. wait for a, a stretch pass. Go ahead and, you know, try to skate with them. I know that they're a great skating team. That top line is just it's unreal. But Blackhawks have a lot of offensive talent, too. I say let them go ahead and skate and let them go. Well, Patrick Kane, if you let him skate, he's going to go because he's <laughs> one of the best players of all time, but especially in the last decade, I want to get your thoughts, ESPN, as as we're coming up on the final days of 2019 here, the end of the 2010s decade. They've ranked the top 100 NHL players of the decade. I want to get your thoughts. I'll read down the list of uh, Blackhawks that are listed. Corey Crawford, number 78 uh, on that list. Marion Hossa, 67, uh, which we were discussing before the podcast. You know, he had a great start to the decade, and then He's a guy who hasn't played in a couple of years. So to to be in the list as someone who didn't play the full decade, as most of the guys on this list has have done, uh, is I think pretty speaks to what he can do. You have Jonathan Taves at fifteen, Duncan Keith at ten, Patrick Kane at nine, and then two former Blackhawks, Dustin Bufflin, ranked number eighty, and Artemi Panarin at sixty four. No matter how you slice it, a lot of representation of a very strong organization on this list uh anything jump out to you and and reading down those lists i'll give you a it's a stupid list it's a stupid list (laughs) think about it let me just prove it as a stupid list tell me what is caner's number nine yeah that's a joke okay so who's the team of the decade i mean we can all i know this is a hawks podcast but it's pretty good who has the most points espn actually named the blackhawks the team of the decade and the 2010 team specifically the best team of the decade so that they almost prove your point right there themselves. Yeah, well, we don't need ESPN to do that. We're going to say that the Hawks <laughs> yeah. are the team of the decade. Kane has the most points of in anybody the in the decade. He's got the Conn Smythe, been a representative of Team USA countless times, Olympic Games twice, World Championships twice. League MVP. What else has he done? League MVP, Art Ross, and he's number nine. Yeah. There's eight guys that had a better yeah, decade so than at, Kane. Like, give me a break with who these are you taking? Are you, I'm, I'm taking Kane over Stamkos. Sorry. On well, my yeah. team. Stamkos has no team Stamkos award. Bergeron's number seven. Okay, you know, he's fine, but game's on the line. I want the puck on Kane sticks, not Bergeron. Evgeny Malkin, okay, three cups Yeah, also. great players. All great, great, great player. players. Henrik, Henrik Lundqvist, number five. I'm sorry, I take a lot of crap for beating him up here and there, but number five, like, if I, if you're starting a team, are you taking Lundqvist over Kane? No, yeah, I know. He's the no, East Coast guys you're mentioning here. <laughs> yeah. Eric Carlson, <laughs> by the way, too, number four as a defenseman. There's... I mean, I'm, I'm, there's five or six defensemen I'm taking over Eric Carlson, maybe ten. Not only does Kane have more points than all these people, which is one stat, he's got more playoff games than all these guys, more yep. playoff points than all these guys. Maybe Malkin, right? Pittsburgh had a nice run. Yep. Whatever, we're, we're proving our point. So Carlson, get him out the of The bottom line is that the Hawks should be all over this list. And how many do we have? Five, six, seven guys? Yeah, Host is up there like in the 70s, yeah. right? Or 60s? 67. Ovechkin's, okay. here's the top three though. Ovechkin's three, okay. Connor McDavid's two, and Sidney Crosby's one. Okay, so when did Connor McDavid three? start playing? Yeah, three or four so years ago. How many cups has he won? 16, 2015. Yeah. Dominant, but this is the decade, right? right ESPN, yeah. writer? Yeah. Come on. Okay, it's just over 300 NHL games this decade, which is a. A little over three three seasons, four seasons maybe. We did a all-decade team at NBC uh, in Stamford on a podcast. And I had to pick the goaltenders and the defense and 60. So I had Doughty and Keith, Hedman and Carlson, 
and uh, who was the other guy? Oh, Chara, and I put Seabrook on there. And I look on the comments on social media, and people are ripping Seabrook. It's like, let's not forget 2010 was part of the decade. He yep. was a gold medalist. We won three cups. Anybody that watched the Hawks play in the playoffs knows that Seabs was yep. like a catalyst of us winning all yep. three championships. And what, what are some, like Connor McDavid, yeah, he's the best player in the world. But right he started now. his decade in what year? 2015, 16, yeah. whatever year it was. Like, I don't know. These lists are dumb. They got me fired up. That's what the whole point of the list is, right? And to you're get not people on talking it. about it. <laughs> yeah, how's Hosa on that list and Sharp's not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jeez. Well, maybe I'll go this way. If you had to pick a starting lineup right now from the entire decade, yeah, who would your six be? It would be Keith, Seabrook, Crawford, Sharp, Kane, Taves. And then host. Didn't we do that during the decade? Didn't we? <laughs> we we don't have to make it up. That actually happened. Didn't and we we were three the best. cups doing that. Yeah, we yeah. won it three times. So there you go. And Hosa is on there somewhere. Take out Sharp and put Hosa. He'll be. We'll pull Every the goalie. If you got to pull the goalie, Hosa. I can't play the whole game, so I can only play half. Get Hosa. No, but as a just to add on with the Seabrook. I, I, this is true. I have two buddies. <clears throat> that are season ticket holders of the Blackhawks. They've never bought a sports jersey in their life, they said, but they each independently, before they were kind of buddies, said, oh, I, I bought a Seabrook jersey. I've never met a sports jersey guy, but they both said, no, he was my favorite player like yeah. during those runs because everybody had the 88s, the 19s, and the 10s, but it was like he would score all those overtime winners, and then he'd go out there and smash a guy in the corner. And then he'd bang a slapper in from the point. I'll, like the two of my buddies were like, "Those, that's the jersey. I, I still got it." And they'll see him once in a while and say, "Like, hey, I got your jersey, Seebs." And they're not jersey guys, so I'm with you, Sharpie. He was a, he was a big part of that decade. And you guys know what kind of leader he is too. I mean, he, before he was wearing an A, I mean, he, in that room, right? He's the guy. I mean, guys get fired up, Keith and Taves do, but uh, the inspirational leader to me has always been Seabrook. Now the decade team. There's lots of good players. Pittsburgh's got to have an argument too. Back to back. Cups is impressive. Crosby back-to-back, Conn Smites. Washington getting over the hump. Ovechkin completely changing his game from regular season monster to like just so dangerous in the playoffs, physically scoring goals. Eventually got the cup to his name. Yeah, there's some cool things that have happened. Connor McDavid impresses me every single night. The guy we saw in Colorado, McKinnon's pretty impressive too. Mm-hmm. But come on, it's if we're doing an all-decade, if we're going to take the time to list 100 all decade players, then it better be loaded with Blackhawks. Well, I think we'll leave that conversation right, right there. We'll, we'll let you. Sharp didn't fire it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he's ready to jump across the table. Good points. And, uh, Good start points. Going here, so prove me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me why he's we, not right. We are coming up. I mentioned up 2019 is winding down here. We're going to take the next two weeks off. Congratulations, all three of you. Yes. Uh, nice. You, I'm not going to make I'm you come in thrilled. on Christmas Day next Wednesday and record a podcast. We'll, <laughs> it's the league-mandated break, so I don't oh, think I can. do a conference call anyway. Just so we, uh, uh, stay fresh. Yeah. yeah. We'll keep the, keep the takes coming. But uh, I did want to get, in the spirit of the season, a couple thoughts from uh, mainly our two players, but also Chris Cook can, can chime in as uh, a father and as someone who has been in both sides of this. But what was the best hockey Christmas present you guys received growing up? I think sticks, skates, mm-hmm. you know, everything under the sun, probably year after year. But what what sticks out in your the, mind? The hockey the one for me was uh, the aluminum 
Gretzky Easton, you know, the, the two piece where mm-hmm. you heat up the blade at the bottom and put it in. But I remember when I got the, the silver with black lettering, this, this big log, this big metal stick. I remember yeah. that. That was probably the coolest hockey Christmas Mine's the same, except mine was gold and it had a little Team Canada logo on oh, it. Oh, yeah, the gold one. They, my parents, well, Santa didn't wrap it because I don't know how you wrap a hockey stick unless you really take some time. So it was just leaned up against the tree one morning. I think I was 12 years old, ran down and saw it sitting there and it was like, you know, me with my hockey sticks. Yeah. I always like messing around with them. That was probably the one that stands out the most. Yeah, yeah I got tickets to the Blackhawks at the old stadium. No way. Yeah, those are fun, fun memories there. And I mean, I know a lot of people listening probably never got to the Chicago stadium, but just a unique place to watch a game. And, um, you know, I've got some great memories of those teams. And I do these uh, sponsorship events with Tony Esposito and, and Danny Savard. And it's just every time I get sit there and I guess, you know, when you guys are talking before you guys do your thing, I guess soak in these stories from these guys yeah. who are telling them off the cuff and um, just great memories for me. And um, a lot of that came out of Christmas and being able to go to the Chicago Stadium. Yeah, it wasn't. The other one that was cool was, and it wasn't a Christmas, pre- I guess it was kind of, but I was on a hockey tournament like the week before Christmas, I think we were in Detroit playing and all the parents uh, got tickets to the Red Wings Blackhawks game mm-hmm. and they kind of said here's an early this you know my, my parents here's a Christmas present it's early and they didn't tell me like we're going to the an NHL it was the first game I'd never been to an NHL so that was the first NHL hockey game I ever went to Red Wings versus Blackhawks in Detroit and so that was like an early Christmas present thing so that was kind of kind of a, a good Christmas memory to my first ever game I used to get always the the sticks the you know the net for the driveway or mm-hmm. Whatever you want. But I remember one year I was, I think I was probably five or six years old. I got a, right after I really started picking up hockey in Dallas, you know, of all places, I got a, you know, my parents bought me a place in a camp, you know, Mm -hmm. it was called a hockey tough camp. And it was a week of on ice sessions, off ice sessions. I was six, maybe seven years old. I don't really need the off ice sessions. But the cool part was uh, there were, two Dallas stars that were stopping by oh, at the yeah. time, you know, growing up in Dallas. You know, what year yeah. was this? What, this was probably 2000, 99, mm-hmm. right in, you know, right after So it was, and it was Brendan Morrow's rookie season. He was one of the guys that oh, was stopping nice. by. And Darian Hatcher was the second one lined no up way. to come by. I made the Morrow day, got the flu midway through, <laughs> couldn't go the rest of the way, didn't get to meet Darian Hatcher, who uh, as a young defenseman was kind of my, my guy growing up. So that was... I got to see the up-and-comer, the great Brendan Morrow, who turned out to be a great player, but it was like always a sour taste in my mouth that I never got to nice. meet Darian Hatcher. Brendan Morrow is the man. I got to man. wear his jersey when I was in Dallas. Yep. Uh, he gave me number 10, and I asked, are you sure you want me wearing this jersey? Like, right? Brendan Morrow was a captain for a long time, <laughs> yeah. and you're giving it to me, this plug. I was going to take 16 because I know another special player. Yeah, I wore 16, 16 there. For the Dallas yeah, Stars, big right? shot me. Can't do that anymore. Imagine <laughs> I wore Burr's jersey and that would have been great. Did you ever uh, did you ever spend Christmas by yourself during your career? Uh, nope. Never? No. Nope. You always were able to get away? Yeah. I don't, I don't think I did. I spent a couple Thanksgivings alone. Oh, yeah. Um, but there was guys that would have to spend Christmas alone. Like if they were from Europe, a lot of European guys, mm-hmm. their families couldn't come over. They right. couldn't go there for two days. So I remember a lot of guys. That was always like... Kind of like a sad, you'd, you'd be leaving the rink, like you'd maybe have practice on the 23rd, then you'd disappear for two days and you'd hear somebody kind of be like, well, what are you guys, what are you guys doing tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Or I When know. I was a young kid in Philly, I would drive up to Connecticut to spend it with Abby's family, oh, yeah. so I got lucky there. Couldn't go all the way home to Canada. 
And then one year in Chicago, Jonathan Taves' rookie year, him and I slept out in the suburbs at Kevin Adams' house oh, with yeah. his family. Yeah. He had the kids, three kids, and the whole family thing, and big Christmas tree. We got pictures of it. It's hilarious to see Johnny and I at the breakfast table. I'll have to get one to Adam Kempinar and yeah. get it up on the website. We look like we're well, I was gonna ask. baby fat all over us. It's pretty <laughs> hilarious. Bert, you mentioned there's not a lot of time to get away. The NHL... Yeah. It, it's more a recent thing, but it's always kind of been an unwritten thing. They have a three-day break. So the Blackhawks will play on the 23rd at home against the Devils. Absolutely nothing on the 24th, 25th, 26th. Back at home on the 27th against the Islanders. That's not a huge window of time, depending on where you're from, where you live, where your family is. Have you guys ever experienced uh, a travel headache, getting to and from on Christmas, trying to get home? Or what's kind of the most bizarre story that you've either experienced or heard of someone trying to like get home real quick just for the holiday, but also try to get back. I mean, there's not a lot of wiggle room. Shocker. It involves Duncan Keith (laughs) of all people. And it was my last year playing. We played uh, 27th or 28th in Vancouver. So Duncan lives out there, went to his summer place in Penticton. And then of course, huge snowstorm. There's no flights getting out at all. So he was stuck. We flew out as a team, practiced, Stayed overnight, morning skate, and then played a game. Duncan missed the practice, missed the morning skate. (laughs) After like four or five days off, came right on the ice and played and was fine, which (laughs) people listening probably don't think too much of it. But if you take two days off at the NHL level and then get back into it, your legs are a little weaker than they were before. Your lungs are burning a little bit more. And Dunks just got off the couch after five days. (laughs) We like to think that he made up the snowstorm that there really wasn't one yeah. there and he just wanted the extra time off but either way he made it back in time for the game yeah i never had any i was but i was like i was the guy that was always scared and had the dream that you missed the game or mm-hmm. you were too late so i would always like i would cancel family time just to make sure that i could get i was where i needed to be a day early and because i was a worry worm about that stuff I've got but some, I, yeah i've got some weird travel stories on the other end but oh yeah you people must don't want to hear about the media getting caught uh, <laughs> well let's say cook you don't have the luxury of Showing up, jumping on the team plane. You have to book no. your own travel. You have to. Yeah. You have the team's plane on the road right after the holiday. You, you have to take even more time. To there travel was one there. a few years ago when uh, the Blackhawks opened. After I think it was right around there, played in Arizona and it was a snowstorm in Chicago, and there were three beat writers, being Mark Lazarus and Tracy Myers, uh, all. Uh, um, Lazarus and I were on the same uh, airline, but Tracy was on a different one, and we were different parts of the airport. And we kind of did an amazing race how to get to Arizona first. <laughs> and uh, Lazarus and I ended up going. We flew, I think we flew into Tempe or something like that and drove, drove in yeah. and um, got there right as uh, awesome. Joel Quinn was ready to talk. So it was just uh, we were running down the hallway. And here we made it. Yeah. But it was uh, long days at, uh, at O'Hare. And uh, those are not, that's not a fun time. I, but, I never – Christmases were always okay for me, but I had one. And it's a little bit off topic, but I had a Thanksgiving when I had gotten – I got sent to the minors at the end of my career on Thanksgiving Day. They did me a favor and shipped me out on Thanksgiving. That's nice. Yeah, yeah. That's and so I got into this city, and it's a really quiet, not not the nicest of cities, but uh, nothing's open there on Thanksgiving. Got there at about noon, got in a cab, went to a couple grocery stores to find nothing closed. Everything was shut down. No restaurants open. So I waddled down to the Holiday Inn Express, uh, you know, a little convenience store that's in there. I grabbed a can of chunky chili, <laughs> a bag of potato chips. 
and I think a can of beer. <laughs> and I sat in my bed and I heated it up in the kitchen downstairs and sat in my bed. And, I, and this was the funniest because I took a picture to my buddies, like how things change. I was once an NHL <laughs> hockey player. This is how I'm spending my Thanksgiving. And I took a picture of the chunky chili and the bag of chips open and the can of beer. And I didn't mean it this way, but in the, the TV was on in the background. And it was that Sarah McLaughlin commercial with the dogs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rescue the dogs. And it was on there. My buddy's like, did you plan that? I go, plan what? They're like the picture in the background. I was like, what? I was like, oh my God, it's some sad crying dog Perfect. in the background. So that was my poor me story. We had plenty. Remember, you guys were always on the road on Thanksgiving. I was up, uh, spent one in Calgary one year. And of course, their Thanksgiving is a different time. So yep. you're an American up there. And yeah, I remember being in the hotel. And I think finally, Dale or somebody said, hey, come to the team dinner. And we, we had team dinner. And that was, but yeah, when you, you haven't lived until you've been in a, another country that's not celebrating yeah. a holiday. And you just go like, geez, I'm out here all alone. This is very <laughs> odd. For sure. Well, on that note, we will wrap up this week's episode. Like I said, we're going to take a two-week break. So we'll be back during Chicago's four-game homestand in early January, uh, technically the second week of January. But we hope you enjoy your holiday and uh, get to spend some time with your family, maybe a little less hectic than what some of these guys have gone through or Chris Cook has gone through. Uh, but, Sharp, thanks for joining us once again, as always. Uh, thanks seats, for having me. Seats starting to get your name on it. Okay. So okay. Uh, I like it. take that as you will. If you wanted to fully have your name on it, you can. If you know, Maybe lay off for a few weeks. If you're getting a little tired of us, we'll, we won't take it. Expect a few mean way. tweets from ESPN after I rip their stupid. Yeah, That's all okay. I'm with you. I back you up. We'll, we'll send it to them. We'll tag them <laughs> about that just to, just to provoke it. But uh, for Adam Burrish and Chris Cook, once again, thanks to Patrick Sharp. Uh, we hope you enjoy your holiday and we'll see you next time on Blackhawks Insider presented by Chevy Drive Chicago. Drive what Kane and Tate drive. Drive.